coaches, Kevin Furtado from the Championship Vision Podcast. Welcome, episode 57. Hey, I'm so pleased to announce that um, these next two to three podcasts, um, I'm interviewing coaches who run what they call the system. It's a great, it's a great system that you all got to learn how to do. And uh, I'm really looking forward to speaking with my guest today is Coach Doug Porter, the head women's basketball coach at Bethel University in Meshaqua, Indiana. Coach Porter comes to the pilots with nearly 30 years of collegiate coaching experience with stops at West Texas A&M, Aurora, Illinois, Olivia Nazarene, Illinois, North Central Illinois, and most recently at Wheaton, Illinois. In 16 years as a head coach, Porter has amassed 312 wins and won seven regular season conference titles and has made five postseason national tournament appearances. In his two years at Aurora, he led his team to 36 wins in two NAIC conference championships and made an appearance in the NCAA Division III Sweet 16 in 1995. He established AU records for most wins in a season, 22, most points scored in a season, 2,137, and most points scored in a single game, 111. He was named the NIIC Coach of the Year each season. As a head man at Olivia Nazarene for 14 seasons, Porter led the Tigers to five CCAC regular season titles and three CCAC tournament championships. He set ONU records for consecutive home court wins 29 and went undefeated in CCAC play at 17-0 in 2012. His up-tempo offense led the NAI in scoring seven times in a span of eight seasons, and he was named CCAC Coach of the Year five times. He was inducted into the Olivia Nazarene Athletics Hall of Fame in 2018. In all, Porter has coached 35 all-conference players, six conference MVPs, and 38 academic All-Americans. His teams hold 16 national statistical records, leading the nation in scoring 11 times and setting college basketball season-season records at any level in both steals, 735, and scoring average, 104.1 points. An accomplished teacher and instructor of the game of basketball, Porter has four publications on learning his up-tempo style of play, including his book, Coaching the System, a complete guide to basketball's most explosive style of play. He holds a master's degree from the University of North Texas in physical education with a concentration in sports psychology. Coaches, let's welcome from Bethel University, Coach Doug Porter of the system. Hi, Doug. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Hey, you hooked Yeah, You're pretty smart. You got to be an idiot not to figure this out. I get a tap a button. It's awesome. <laughs> well, that's great. We're trying to make this uh, system really simple. And, of course, uh, uh, I'm just a basketball coach who loves talking to guys like you. I appreciate you coming on. Um, hey, hey, this is uh, Coach Doug Porter. Um and I call him, you know, the, the master of the system, but uh, he's now at Bethel University. And, Coach, I'm so glad to uh, have you on. For this simple reason, I am actually um, putting in the system 
and I, I'm picking your brains of guys like you and Dr. Barber over at um, uh, trying to think of the university he's at Greenville, um, Greenville, Greenville, yeah. Um, and I'm just I just want to I just want to see if we can realistically do this, and that's and uh, particularly at the high school level. And I'm at a small school, but I know you're the right man to talk to. But thanks again. I'm glad to help. Are you coaching women or men? Coaching girls, okay. yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I have, and we actually have an aggressive attacking system. But I want to, I want to make it even more aggressive. And I, I love it. Huh? That's right. That's right, man. I'm going for it. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about our program later, so you can kind of see what we're we're trying to do. But all my listeners. Are, are coaches like me. Uh-huh. Um, and I do have college coaches and so forth that listen, but Hey, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, kind of the great mentors that you've had uh, in your career that have kind of led you into coaching. Uh, well, you know, high, in high school, my, my high school coach, like for a lot of us was a, a fellow that influenced me to want to get into the profession because I just I looked at what he was doing and I, I looked at the relationship he had with us and the respect that he he had uh, from the players and the way he influenced us and I, I thought man that'd be a great career and the thing was uh, coach Simpson was just a total ball control coach <laughs> and even so so much so that some of our fans uh, uh, kind of disparagingly called it mo- uh, massage ball you know you catch the ball and You'd massage it a while and right. make a couple of pass plays sure. and give it to somebody else to massage for a while. So we were a very low-scoring team. And I decided that I wanted to, uh, you know, from a personal standpoint and just personality more than anything, I wanted to be a little bit more aggressive in my style. So uh, from that point on, I think the biggest influence for me was uh, becoming an assistant at West Texas State back in the 90s where I worked for a fellow – who was a very up-tempo coach. Uh, his name was Bob Schneider, very very uh, strong Division II program. And then from Coach Schneider, I uh, got a head job at Aurora University where we, uh, we implemented our kind of basic ideas about running and pressing. We were running a run and jump man-to-man and uh, half-court pressure man-to-man and uh, trying to run situationally. And uh, from there, we went, you know, it had some success with it. And uh, did the same thing at Olivet when I got the job there. And then, and then here's kind of a disappointing chapter in our career. I uh, we uh, uh, had a year where it was our third season there. We had a pretty good team, and we're running and pressing. And then I have two kids go down with knee injuries within like a week of each other. And so we went from being pretty quick to being pretty slow. They were there, two, our two quick girls. And we decided to pull in our horns and do it like everybody else does and played pack man-to-man. Well, the thing about pack man-to-man is it's not a very good defense to run from. So for the next two or three years, we were very much of a half-court team. And I, I finally just got so tired of it and just didn't have the success with it because it wasn't my personality again. And so I contacted sure. Coach Arsenal at Grinnell. And, and the, one of the first questions I asked him, uh, I actually drove out to Grinnell uh, and saw him play in the, in the conference tournament game. And I was just captivated by their style. 
and I talked to coach after the game and I said, coach, do you think this would work with women? And he said, I think it would work even better. <laughs> I said, why is that? And he said, well, because they're not going to dunk on you when they beat your press. <laughs> he said, we're the, we're the most <laughs> dunked on team in the country and that's not going to be a problem for you. They're just, they've still got to make a shot at the end of beating your press. So that's an edge that you'll have. And they're not going to throw the full court pass to beat your press quite as often or as easily. And for a lot of reasons like that, I felt like um, it might work for us. And we tried it, and it did work. And uh, I talked to Gary Smith early on and some other uh, fellows that had run it already. Gary was at Redlands at the time and had uh, coached the men there and was was running the system. So I picked his brain and uh, got some good ideas there. And then from that point forward, it was just kind of tweaking it to fit our situation with coaching women. We did everything Grinnell did, except our offense was a little bit different. Uh, other than that, we went into it with both feet and, and uh, never looked back. Yeah, and I got uh, – um, I, you know, I've studied your tape so many times, Coach. I'm, I'm still not quite sure why I have to run it, but I've run different versions of it, particularly your fast break which we'll talk about later. I'm actually studying um, George Barber's system too, kind of comparing. I love how you guys, and even in your book, and I love your book, is so detailed, how there's different versions of the system, right? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I, I like to think of it more like there's one version with different offensive approaches. Um, I think that in my mind, system is about any, any approach that you can take to generate more shots than your opponent. I think that's, Sure. That's the, the characteristic that makes the system what it is. And that's not an obvious point at first look at it. You just think, well, you know, you run and you press and you sub a lot of kids. But there's a reason why you're doing those things. And the reason is you're trying to generate more shots. And you generate more shots by getting a lot of offensive rebounds, by taking quick shots in transition where it's harder to block you out, and forcing a lot of turnovers. And if you do those things – and you take care of the ball, you're going to get more shots than the opponent and anywhere from 15 to 25 more a game is our goal. And if you do that, it really doesn't matter what your field goal percentage is. It does, you know, it matters a little bit, but the other thing is that you're taking enough three point shots that even though your field goal percentage will probably be lower than a conventional team because of so many perimeter shots, uh, you're more than making up for it in terms of effective field goal percentage. You know, the, the modern, basketball analytics people talk about that a lot the fact that you're making a decent percentage of threes elevates the actual points per possession that you get because you know you get three points for those things <laughs> so it's there's a lot of reasons sure. why it works but bottom line is offensively if you run defensively if you pressure and force turnovers if you get on the offensive glass then you're going to be successful with what we call the system and it really doesn't matter how you get those shots. I mean, I think there are more and less efficient ways to do it, but Coach Arsenault did it one way at Grinnell. We did it a little bit different way. I've even tried the Loyola Marymount approach uh, that Paul Westhead used, and I discovered in the process of writing the book that it wasn't his offense originally. It was uh, it was uh, developed uh, by a guy named Sonny Allen at, at uh, yeah, Sonny Allen, uh, sure. Old Dominion won yeah. a Division II national championship with it. And uh, that's what he did. And he got good, quick shots out of it that way. And so because I've seen a lot of coaches do different things offensively to get those quick shots and to focus on the three-point game, it's it helped me to realize that that's 
that's more of an individual thing as to how you do that. And the ironic thing is um, Coach Arsenal's son, Dave Jr., is the head coach at Grinnell now uh, after Coach A retired uh, last year. And he doesn't run his offense exactly like his dad did. He, he runs more of a spot-up uh, offense. Now, they're still attacking like, like Grinnell always has, but they run more of a just a spot-up drive-and-kick game uh, which he developed when he was with uh, the the, uh, the D- NBA Developmental League, uh, Reno Bighorns sure. and uh, Sacramento's uh, sort of farm club, I guess. And that's the style he developed. And, and the reason he did it that way was because it required less running. Uh, in the traditional Grinnell system, they're running a two-guard through along the baseline on every transition and setting a double pick for them to get a backside three. And – Coach A's son tried that at Reno, and his guy said, man, you're going to wear us out playing a 48-minute game, and as many games as we play, we can't run that much. So just give us – we'll spot us up, drive and kick, and we'll still get open. And they did. So even his son does it a little differently. So I, all that to say, there's a lot of offensive approaches, but I think the defense is pretty consistent from system team to system team. Yes, and I actually I heard – one thing that kind of inspired me again, I heard – David Arsenal Jr. on a podcast and it kind of motivated me again because um, I was looking to be this year we have we, we actually started a charter school um, and on my fourth year I started it from scratch so we kind of went from day one now to year one to year four and um, I got the players to run it and we are now ready to kind of take that next level so that's why I'm talking to you um Tell me about you are now back in the coaching. You retired, didn't you? Now you're back in the South. Did you ever see the God, did you ever see that movie, The Godfather? You know where Al, I did. Yes. Al and Godfather Three says, "Just when I thought I was out, they dragged me back in." Well, I get dragged back, back in, in I, now. I back in because I, I, I'm one of those lifers. I guess I just love. You're I love lifer. doing it, and uh, <laughs> you get to hang around kids who are a lot younger and a lot more energetic, and it just keeps you feeling young to be around them and. Uh, I, I don't know. It's just something I've wanted to do since I was 17 years old and I've never lost the love for it. So uh, when I saw the opportunity pop up at Bethel. I thought it was a good fit for me personally and uh, for my Christian faith and, uh, you know, and being in that kind of an environment. And uh, so we jumped into that and then it's been um, it's been a challenge, but there are some good things happening on the horizon. And we think we think the future is bright there. So are you, and I think you mentioned this to me, are you putting in your, I'm sure you are, but are, are, what phases are you now trying to get when you're trying to implement the um, the system into your well, program? phase one is go get some players. Uh, <laughs> that's a very technical right. term for, you got to have depth. Uh, we've got a core of really good players. Uh, they're young. We have no seniors on this coming year's squad. They're all uh Right now, they're freshmen, sophomores now going into their sophomore, junior year. And we've got a good core of freshmen coming in. I'm trying to get a few more and maybe a transfer or two. And we'd like to get up to 15 players that we think we can put on the floor at any given time. So recruiting is the challenge at this point. I want to be able to run full-out system right away. And I know that from my experience at Olivet that if you try to do that with less than 15 it it can get complicated when you have injuries or various issues come up. And so our number one priority right now is adding depth. 
Yes, and that's kind of my next question. How many schools are running it? I I tell you what's interesting is there's no D1 schools that are running it. It's like, are they afraid, Coach? Um, Why is it only – and that's why I love D3 and small D2 schools. I think the best coaching is done because it's almost like a no fear. It's like you're really – you can innovate, you can be innovative. Exactly. Can't you? When I talked to Coach A back in you know, 2003, he said uh, he said you know part of the reason we had the courage, so-called courage, to run it at Grinnell, he says, because when I started doing it here, you could have shot a cannonball through the gym and not hit anybody, and a couple of parents <laughs> sitting around. And uh, he said we didn't have the pressure uh, to to do something that was in the public eye a whole lot. And the same was true for us at Olivet. And uh, I, I was at a place where we wouldn't have a lot of interest around campus or the community and, and not a lot of criticism and I had a supportive administration. So I thought I can pretty much do anything I want to do that I think will help our program. And I, I believed it would. So we tried it. Uh, but uh, I think if you don't have that, it can it can lead to problems. But uh, at the small college level and, and at certain high schools, I think maybe orphanages are a good place to run the system. You know, <laughs> you don't have any parents. That's, right. that's probably an ideal situation. Uh, but I do think that at high schools, it's a little tougher because of parental involvement. They they sure. can be critical, and I don't want to I don't want to rag on parents because you know they produce those kids and uh, and they care about them and they want them to have a good experience. And ultimately, I believe the system provides that, but in the beginning, when you're got those growing pains, it can be tough, and uh, you can get some criticism. So, getting back to your question, the reason why divisions division ones don't run it is, well, I, I don't know what you make for a living, and I, I know what my salary is. It's not it's not great, uh, and I'd be sorry to lose it. But if I was making three hundred thousand dollars a year, I'm not going to do something that that uh, can cause sure. me to lose that salary, lose that income, and plus. If you're a Division One coach, you're there because you've got a pretty, pretty strong grounding in a particular philosophy. You're not looking for the next best thing. You didn't get that job because you were semi-successful. You you had either a lot of success yourself, or you were in a program that was very successful that you bought into. And if you've got a philosophy, why would you change it unless you were desperate? Well, I was desperate, so I changed it. And I think sometimes that's what it takes to to make a change. But I didn't. I didn't think I was going to lose my job, no matter what I did. And I think that's why Division One's shy away from it. Now I will say this: there's a, there is a, a, a big time Division One program. I won't mention. I've had some contact with their assistant coach. They're a running and pressing team. They've even been to the women's final four. Uh, really, really outstanding program. And he's gone back and forth with me, and we've talked about the system. He's sort of their defensive coordinator, and he's been intrigued by how we run the system defense. I think that's about as close as I've come to a team in Division One uh, at that level, anyway, uh, wanting to take the risk of thinking about it anyway. But I still don't think he's anywhere near pulling the trigger because as an assistant, he doesn't have that kind of influence. He told me, though, he said, uh, he says, Coach, I'm not sure it would work at Division One, And we, we disagreed. We agreed to disagree about that. Um, I think you could do it, but I, I think it would take a lot of courage and, and you know, an AD who's really not going to listen very much to the alumni, which there's not many ADs like that. So that's, that's 
that's why I think there's not a lot of D1s even thinking about trying. I tell you what I love about it. It's fearless. And uh, I try to teach a, that's a big part of our program here is fearless. And that is, you can't be afraid to make mistakes. Um, and that's what I love about it. And that what I've always learned from your system though, Doug, is we focus on taking shots, not making mm-hmm. shots. And I just love that. And I don't think a lot of coaches do. It's about field goal percentage and all that. Um, but I just loved kind of the fearless aspects of it. And I think every coach – and we're, I'm not going to take the, the complete system of you, which you're going to talk about, but I'm going to take bits and pieces of it. But I do think that if you're going to use it, you, you need to go all out, right? You need to be totally committed. You know, it's funny you say that. I was talking to a coach this morning who is a high school coach in Wisconsin, was interested in putting the system in with his boys uh, next year, and – he asked me that very question. He said, can you take bits and pieces of it and make it work? And I said, yeah, sure you can. It's, it's not the system. Then it's your system. And you have to live right. with the consequences. Uh, I think the biggest aspect of the system that gives coaches a, a hard, uh, gives, gives coaches a problem or that they question is the idea of, of short, short shifts, you know, running kids out there yeah, for 40 yeah. seconds. We were at all of that. We were down to 35 seconds per, per rotation. First dead ball after 35 seconds, we sent five more in there. The year we put that in, mm-hmm. we led the nation in defensive turnovers and, and set a college basketball record uh, for uh, steals in a season. I think we forced 36 turnovers a game that year. And the reason was we had fresh legs, as the hockey people put it. We have fresh legs on the, on the floor all the time. And they were explosive, and they, they really knew how to, how to go all out. And – but a lot of coaches talk to me and they say, well, I, I don't want to, I don't think I can get away with taking kids out after 60 seconds or 50 seconds. And, and so they'll go longer and maybe try to keep them out there two minutes and create their version of the system by doing that. And then what ends up happening, of course, is that you can't play as aggressively in your press because kids get tired and they start to pace themselves. And then you're running the fast break as effectively because you're pacing yourself. And so bottom, bottom sure. line is, any part of the system that you tweak, you can, and you can make it into your own, but there it's going to affect everything else. And that's why they call it a system because the parts are interchangeable to some extent. And you, you are by tweaking one thing, you're, you're actually might have some unintended consequences that you may not discover until after you try it. And uh, I, I don't discourage anybody from trying to create their own version of it. I just think, you have to go into it with your eyes open, knowing that that anything you do tweak or try to do differently uh, may have some consequences that you weren't aware of. Yes, and we all know that um, coaching is a lonely profession. The only person that's in your in your court is you. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to have a lot of supporters, even if you run a half court system. I mean, it doesn't really matter because I mean, no matter what. Um, people are looking at their own kid playing time and wins and losses and so forth. But I do think the style of play and the morale that it builds, I think is really important, particularly at the high school girls level or small high school. Yeah, I agree with that. I think morale has been the thing about the system that has been the most satisfying to me personally and professionally by far. I I love winning and I love the, the teaching aspect of the system. But what I really love is to see our kids get excited and be supportive no matter who's on the floor at any given moment and cheering for each other. And it's just something about 
the system and and the first of all the tempo it's fun but more importantly yeah. you know that you're going to play you know that you're going to get on the court and you're going to have an opportunity to contribute and and it may be in a role situation it may just be as a rebounder or a screener but you know that you're going to be out there not just at garbage time but when it matters and and you, there's not especially with young women i think this, this the tendency is to to view yourself as a second class citizen if you're not in that core lineup if you're not in that starting lineup or the top 6 or 7 you, you view yourself differently and you feel like your teammates view you differently and in the system that's kind of it's kind of taken care of because you're you're playing a different type of roster you're different depth chart and uh, and kids kids really feel like it matters that, that that they matter and i think that leads to a lot of good positive things on the court yeah i totally agree let's talk about your system goals total shots total threes um you go offensive rebounding percentage and i think uh coach barber from greenville does i think it's offensive rebound differential i think so it's a little bit, di- and then forced turnovers and shot differential. Um, tell us about tell us about the system goals. Are they the same as what you had them at um, your previous yeah, schools? Uh, I've not really changed them much over the years. I I kept the spreadsheet from year one, <clears throat> and I plugged in the the goals every single game we played. And I have those records going back to eight years I was a head coach, and then five years as an assistant, uh, where we implemented the system at uh, Division three school, North Central College. So it's 13 years of records that I have, and um, we would chart every single game those five goals. And we wanted to know, did we get 90 shots, which was our initial goal, and that's pretty much the level that we've stuck with. Bethel's goal was 94 uh, historically, and ours was 90. Um, And then uh, we tried to get half those shots from three. So if we made 45, you know, whatever we took, how many shots we took, if we got half of them from the arc, then we met that goal. Uh, offensive rebound, we didn't do differential like Coach Barber does. Uh, I stuck with the, the original system goal of trying to get 40%. Well, uh, Coach A at, at Grinnell, his goal was, I think, 35%. And I felt like with women, yeah, yeah. I really believed by the, the results that we were getting on the court, it, it seemed to me that we could get 40%, and we did. Right over – pretty much over – uh, throughout the, my career there, uh, we were right around 39, 40, 41% offensive rebounds. Um, and uh, then uh, turnovers forced. Our goal was, uh, I think Grinnell's was 32. And I don't know, just to be different, I said 33. <laughs> and ended up in around 35 over the eight-year period. Uh, so that was that was a, a doable goal, and then the last one for us was uh, shot differential, just like the other coaches did. For us, it was plus plus fifteen. I think the Rennell was plus twenty five. I don't remember exactly, but uh, you know, if you're getting that goal, you're running the system like it's designed to be run. You know, you're you're getting a lot of extra shots, and uh, since it's all about getting more shots than the opponent, uh, I think that's a good solid goal to keep in there too and track. Yes, and how can we modify that? Um, I mean, do I mean how can we modify that for a thirty-two minute high school game? What What are some of the high school coaches that are that are running it, and how many high school coaches you know, are actually running your system? It's, it's you know, really hard to say, Kevin. It it changes year to year, and some people I have a lot of contact with high school coaches who ask about the system, uh, but no way of knowing how many of them stick with it. I one fellow out in New Jersey. 
uh, talked to me this, uh, this past year about it. And he put it in with his high school girls team and, and had tremendous success with it and is going to continue doing it in the future. Um, and he's just very enthusiastic about his results. The people that you don't hear back from uh, after they put it in, either either they just, for whatever reason, didn't continue communicating with you, uh, or they got away from the system. And, and there's no way to know which that is. So I couldn't tell you how many teams throughout the country run it. Um, it's just it's just hard to say. Uh, I, I, I know most of the colleges that run it, and uh, uh, I think there's probably not a large percentage, but uh, – there are people out there that have, that have made it work. Tell me about, uh, and I, I can tell you right now why, why schools don't run it. And that is, um, and I even have one great player. She's an unbelievable player. They're worried about the star or the first five, not getting those minutes. Right. Is that the ultimate? I, I guess so. I, you know, I've never been in that situation personally, but I think that's probably accurate. And I think it's, it's because, you know, and again, I don't like being critical of people who, who have hesitations because I had hesitations and it took me a couple of years to warm up to the idea of running the system. But the reality is that the people who complain about, well, my daughter's not out there for 32 minutes. Well, you know, it's just wrong. Uh, yeah, she's not out there as much, but she's going she's gonna to actually probably score more points, get more touches and be a lot more effective per minute of play uh, than she would uh, if she was out there a longer period of time and pacing herself. And uh, it's kind of kind of the equivalent of saying, remember Wayne Gretzky back in the 90s and 2000s, a great hockey player, one of the best of all time? Mm-hmm. It's like, and well, Wayne Gretzky, yes. you know, he's only out there for 40 seconds, and then he, he goes off and a new line comes in. And, you know, why isn't Wayne out there all the time? He'd be so much better a hockey player if he played all the time. Well, in hockey, that's it just doesn't happen because they shift out. In fact, the, the system concept of alternating units as a whole uh, came from hockey as a, as a substitution concept. And hockey recognized about 50 years ago, which it used to be a lot slower sport, maybe, maybe more than 50 years ago. But back in the 50s and 40s, uh, hockey coaches figured out that they – they could speed the game up a lot and be much more efficient uh, by subbing out every minute or so and keeping fresh legs on the ice, as we said before. And so when, when somebody says, well, my daughter's not out there as much, I, I want to point to one of my players at Olivet who scored almost 2,000 points in her career, and she never once played more than 20 minutes in a game. Well, I mean, how much better could she get? Is she going to score 3,000 points if she played longer? No, she wouldn't have even scored that many because, uh, you know, the longer you play, the more you pace yourself, the less touches you get, and it's just a slower game. So I, I don't – I understand the criticism. I just – I just not sure that a lot of people understand that it really isn't quite accurate to say a kid can't be as productive playing fewer minutes. Yeah, I mean it's it's given that maximum effort. I and and I think we kind of forget as coaches that our players, number one, cannot give even in a practice, Doug, we can't expect players to give maximum effort for two hours, right? right? Yeah, our practice. I mean, and I, I think we forget about that right. sometimes. I had a I, last year. I 
I was twiddling my thumbs, didn't have much to do. And I thought, well, I should check out local high schools. And I did. And uh, they, they hired me on as a JV coach and assistant varsity coach. And, and uh, it was a conventional style of play. And I didn't, I didn't want to push my ideas of offense or defense on anybody. So I just, just bought into what they were doing. But I, I just felt like, uh, um, you know, they, that style is so different from what we're doing that you just have to accept that that's the way it is and um, and 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 not try to try to uh, push a different approach on on people that maybe aren't open to it yeah and i <laughs> i don't think the coach did his homework because if i'm hiring doug porter we're going with well, the system yeah you know I, 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 you know what I did, Kevin, I intentionally removed everything on my resume that had anything to do with that. I just put all I put down was where I was at and, and what years I was there because I, last thing I would want to do would make a high school coach feel uh, like I was trying to come in and change something. It's their program. It's not my program. And uh, I think you just have to have that attitude. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I could have maybe contributed yeah. some ways, but you know, unless you buy into it and believe in it, like I do, there's no point in trying it because you're not gonna, you're not gonna really make it work if you don't believe in it yourself. Right, right. Um, but you know what I don't see because um, uh, I'm studying the game all the time. Uh, to my fault, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I got. You know, you can take like you can take one piece. I love your fast break system. Uh, it goes right into the dribble drive, quick shots, and so forth. Uh, now we're going to talk about that in a second. So you can take a phase of Doug Porter's system and really apply it. Um, and I think coaches are afraid of growth and trying to add stuff. Um, but that that's all. That's my that's Kevin Furtado's opinion. But uh, I think we can steal more, sure. can't we? I'm- I'm the world's worst example of that. I mean, everything I do, I stole. I, I, don't, I, I don't think I invented anything in my life, but I am a master thief. And I took lock, stock, and barrel from Coach Arsenal. Now, the offense that we, we ended up running was a combination of Loyola Marymount stuff and Dean Smith passing game and Dean Smith fast break. And just, you know, over over the years, you tweak it and – and I, the funny thing about the dribble drive, I never heard of the dribble drive till I'd been running the system five years and had been doing this, you know, dribble penetration and wing drives to the rim and post player flipping to the opposite block. And, and then I read a Sports Illustrated article about, about Coach Wahlberg running the dribble drive and how he created it and used it at uh, JUCO in California and then at Pepperdine. And I thought, my goodness, that looks a lot like what we do. <laughs> but, it, you know, I didn't, I didn't know about coach, but I certainly, once I found out he was doing it, then I started stealing some of his ideas and seeing how we could run it better. So yeah, we're all thieves. You know, nobody is, I don't know if there's a whole lot original in the game. I think if there's anybody who can be um, praised as a really original thinker, it's coach Arsenal. I mean, I have, I've said this often, Kevin, I would have never had the guts to create the system he created and then stick with it long enough to make it work because I would have constantly been questioning myself and saying, I don't know if this or that's a work, but because he'd already done it and been successful with it, it gave me confidence when I tried it. And I said, well, if he can make it work, I can make it work. 
but he was the pioneer. And uh, I think there's a, there's a few people in coaching like that who are just incredibly innovative and, and he's one of them. You mentioned, heck, I, I, you know, I thought Bounce Walber created the dribble drive. It could have been Doug Porter. Before, I mean, who knows? We don't know. Could have been, you know what I'm saying? Um, but, yeah, he, he he was great. And I just love how um, it's all or nothing. And I, that, that's a great philosophy to have, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but, man, he got uh, – the kids loved it. It's just a great system, though. But you do have to have the guts to execute it. What about the shifts – Tell me about how you – if I'm running a high school team, how would you put together your shift? So you might not put together your best five mm-hmm. in one shift. How would you well, do it? Well, my first year I actually did put my best five – my best three. I had three seniors that has played together for three years already. And, and uh, you know, they – I just – I didn't want to break them up. I wanted them to play in the same unit because they played so well together and they all were – you know, played very distinct roles. And so that year I, I did put three of my best players in one unit. And then I had some pretty good recruits that we brought in from junior colleges and, and out of high school uh, that, that fit pretty well in another unit. So it worked out that first year, but you know, going forward then the year after that, and then into the future, you'll laugh at this, but with girls, you know what I did? I, I typically put the kids that like each other in the same unit <laughs> Because they get along and, and yeah, they want to play together and, and they're friends. And, you know, eventually I think they all become close. But if I had a choice to make and I, and I knew that two kids really were got along well, uh, I'd put them in the same unit and sometimes you'd get a chemistry there. And sometimes we'd break them up uh, for other reasons. But I, another thing we'd do was freshmen coming in, we often would put them in a unit together and let them grow together as they went through their years and, and they might end up playing together for three or four years. And then you've really got something special going on. But most of the time when you're creating a unit, it really boils down to, I, number one, I don't want my best players typically in the same group because I don't want there to be a huge drop off when another unit goes on the floor. Secondly, with that said, I want a ball handler and a scorer in every unit. And I also want a kid who can be a defensive, you know, back of the press rebounder type and uh, defend the rim. And if you got those things and if you have a ball handler and a scorer and and a defender uh, in your unit, then you can have a couple of role players that that maybe don't contribute as much, but just play a distinct uh, role and and are able to help you in some way without, you know, I've, I've had coaches say, well, you know, I don't have the depth of the talent to run it. You know, I don't have 15 deep. And I say, well, you don't need 15 deep. You need about seven or eight decent players and then fill in around them with other kids. And that, so that's how we create our units is just by slotting kids into key roles and then adding some role players to, to surround them with. So you're saying you have a roster of, well, a roster of 10. Um, but well, I guess what, what you're saying is also they're not going in for – what I'm thinking – I'm thinking of how I can utilize the system here. You can even have a second unit go in for one minute to just create as much disruption as possible. They can't hurt you that much, right? Not, well, not, I mean, not for – you know, they, they can hurt you, but it, it's kind of limited damage because they can't hurt you for that long. Um, 
But if, right. if you had your best players in the top five, and then you put a second group on the floor who's your next five best players, you're going to see a pretty significant drop-off. And, and right, other right, teams sure. can take advantage of that. I don't – see, here's the thing, though. You can't – you put five of your best players on the floor at one time, well, they can't all shoot it. You know, they, they can't all contribute all the time. Um, there's only one basketball. So, that really is not to your advantage. It's, it's better to have a, a one or two scorers on the floor and a ball handler and let those kids play together and make sure the scorer is getting the most shots within that unit. Then you get another unit with maybe your second best scorer on that unit, and you're trying to get shots for them. Sure. So you've got somebody on the floor all the time that you're trying to get open for a shot. And if you, if you think about it that way, it's, it's not quite as daunting a task to think about creating a second unit that you're going to trust to get out there and get the job done. But if you put your best five on one, on one unit, you're kind of wasting them. And then when your second unit goes on the floor, you really are at a, at a disadvantage because you may not have a scorer out there and you may have five kids that aren't that good at defenders, or at least compared to your top five. So I think you can create some problems with yourself by thinking uh, in a traditional way, oh, I've got to have my best kids start the game. No, we never had our best kids start the game, at least not as a unit. We had what we call a finishing group. The last minute or two of the game, in a close game, we'd have our best five kids out there. And they would stay out there for during that stretch. Because at that point, you know, you don't need to worry about fatigue. The game's almost over. So, so we want our best sure. talent. We want our talent on the floor. So the coveted spot for us was I want to be in the finishing group. That means coach trusts me to be on the floor when the game's on the line at the end. And they think of it that way, and then you don't have these issues with, well, I, I wasn't a starter, so I, he must not think I'm any good. And that's not true at all. And I have – yeah, and that's interesting, and you're really making me think. Um, I got two – my two best players obviously are my two best scores. One of those two should be on every single team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, right. One of those or, two will be on the court all or, the time. Yeah, I would have one of those two on the court all the time. Yeah. I got you. I got you. That makes a lot of sense. Fast break. Um, talk about you want to get a shot within 12. Has that changed? 12 seconds? Well, 12 seconds at the most, yeah. I mean, I'd like okay. to get it within five or six if we can. And the faster, the better. But 12 would be kind of a, the high end. Uh, I think over the eight years that we ran the system at Olivet, I'll bet we didn't have 10 shot clock violations in eight years. So maybe one or two a year. Um, so yeah, it, you know, some teams will slow you down and force you to make more passes, but the way we, we create our offense and our transition game, it's not that hard to get a quick shot. It may not be what some people would call a great shot, but it's a pretty good shot. And I think, there are two or three ways that we can use to generate a quick shot or a three um, that takes advantage of the way defenses are coached. And if they play the defense the way they're coached, we're probably going to get a pretty good shot from the arc, um, just the way we structure the offense. So, yeah. And and because well, we, we run your break um, – of course, right now at this time we're, we're 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 developing shooters right now, Doug. So that we're in the. Also, I'm going to talk to you later about your, sh you know, how you teach shooting. Um, 
we send our best player to the two spot and we're, we're looking for a quick three right from the get go. Um, but then from then you kind of go into more of a, from there, you kind of go into more of your dribble drive action. Talk, tell us about how your break is created into your half court set. Well, we try to emphasize two or three things. And again, I got this from coach Arsenal. He, he thinks he thinks and coaches situationally. And he said, there's only like three or four things, three or four different ways to initiate a fast break. And he says, we work on a different one of these situations every day. So one day we might work on a fast break after a rebound because that's a consistent way to get the ball down the floor. And we have certain rules that we follow for that situation. He says it's a different situation to try to run a fast break after the opponent scores. You got to throw the ball in and, you know, you have more time to get organized at the other end. And then there's how do you fast break after a steal? And there's specific rules that we follow for that situation. So what he would do is every day he'd work on one of those situations and just get really good at it because they all required slightly different uh, approaches. Um, So, Essentially, what we did was when we work on fast break after a rebound, we have some real simple rules. A point guard is going to move to the side of the floor uh, that the ball was rebounded on, and that way we know where to look, and we want that point guard receiving the outlet pass, preferably above the foul line. A lot of times they have a habit of coming back to the baseline to get the ball. And if you do that, you're dead. I mean, you have no, you have no break in that situation. Mm-hmm. And then people say, well, what if they, what if they deny that outlet pass? And that's where we teach our players to do what we call a bust out dribble. And uh, whoever rebounded the ball will look for that point guard. And if she's not instantly open on the side that we rebounded on, then the rebounder is going to bust out taking a big dribble in a straight line towards our rim as the point guard back doors. And then by that time, you should be able to hit that player and get the hands of the ball in the hands of your ball handler. That's a, it's a really minor thing, but it's hugely important in getting away from the defensive backboard quickly and pushing the ball into the other end. A lot of players, a lot of rebounders will want to dribble around the defense they don't have the confidence to split them with a low dribble. And it's not that hard for one bounce to, to split a defender uh, and then find that point guard, and then you really can get away from the, from the rim fast. Then the two guard for us runs the right wing, touches the sideline and spots up in the right, right corner, and the three guard does the same thing in the left corner. If they both happen to be close to one side of the floor or the other, we just tell them, go ahead and run that sideline. You don't have to run all the way in a diagonal across the floor to get to your side. But when you recognize that you're both on the same side of the floor, then whoever's behind just tells, yells ahead at the kid who's ahead of her, go through. And she'll run through. Once they get down the floor, she runs through along the baseline to the other wing, and then you're balanced. And then we send our post player um, away from the rebound. So if we rebounded on one side of the floor and the point guard's going to that side of the floor for an outlet, we want our post player to run opposite in what we call the alley. This is outside the edge of the lane towards the weak side block. And the reason we do that, and I know a lot of people say, well, just, just tell her to run to the rim. Well, it's not a very great passing angle a lot of times when you run straight to the rim. 
uh, right up the middle of the floor. You have to turn and look straight back over your shoulder, and it's just harder to see. So, so we tell her to kind of widen out and run the alley opposite the rebound because then she'll be opposite the point guard. And when the point guard gets the outlet and, and pushes it up the floor, she's got a good visual on that, on that post player running right to the rim and kind of curling in for a layup. And, and we work on that, that situation. We drill it to try to go rebounder to point guard to, to post player. So that's the first look. The second look will be for the wing on the ball side. And uh, if she's open, we, we require the point guard to not make that pass to a wing until that wing is standing on the arc. And we don't want her catching it and having to dribble a, a dribble or two to get on the arc and uh, feel like she's going to be a better shooter standing still than she will catching it, dribbling, and then shooting it. And then, then, sure. then if we get to half court and the post is not open and the wing is not open, it's an automatic what we call a flip. And the point guard then attacks opposite side. When she crosses the half court line, she will flip to the, the left side, and now she's looking at the three. And, uh, and we'll throw it ahead to her. And a lot of times, you know, defenders running down the floor, they're going to kind of gravitate to the ball side initially. That means that when you flip and go to the left side, that three is probably going to be open pretty easily. And then if you get all the way down the floor and, and the wing's not open and the point guard can't attack the rim, which is something else we want to emphasize, then we just tell them to swing the ball to the trailer and then initiate some down screens and, and get that action. So really it's, Number one, look for the post. Number two, look for the wing. Number three, if they're not open by the time you cross half court, flip to the left or flip opposite side. And then if you still can't throw ahead, then swing the ball to your trailer and get right into your movement. So, you know, we it's easy to say all those things. We just drill it and drill it and drill it. It's not that complicated, but it does take time to develop those habits. Uh, the only other difference is that on a score, we're drilling our five, our, our safety as we call our five. She's always the one nearest the basket, and we teach her how to get the ball out of bounds quickly with two or three quick steps and then throw the ball to a point guard who is sort of what we call a circle cut, it's kind of sliding to the, to the right side of the floor in a kind of a, a shallow cut and then bending up the court as she's catching the ball. We teach the inbounder to throw her a lead pass to her outside hand so she can catch it, snap the head around, and just immediately, without breaking her momentum at all, catching it and putting it on the floor towards the other end. And so those are just some basic techniques and, and, and that we drill over and over again to try to get faster and faster uh, in transition from one end to the other. Yeah, and I love those. And we, we run your stuff, but not as well as you do yet. But we, we run, I love to show you some video of what we do. Um, and I love the, um, the alley run. Uh, I've tried that. I, I tried the rim run down the middle. You're right. It doesn't work. I don't have any girls that can catch that. Yeah. I mean, they get, we get wide open and we have, we have, we, we're not big and we get wide open. Uh, we have, we have a girl that's not tall, but she runs well. She hustles mm -hmm. and we get her some left hand layups on that side, you know, probably about you know twice, two, three times a game. Uh, I wish it was more. Hey, tell me how, um, just to make sure what's the best way to teach your fast break to make it an absolute habit. Well, that we always start with what I call three quarter court options. And again, it's an idea that I stole from Grinnell, but we put our point guards in a line on the far end of the court on the elbow, on the right elbow. And we put our trailers on the left elbow. 
you know, we, I call them our fives because they're the fifth player down the floor. And that's a loyal Marymount numbering system. And I put our two guards at half court on the right sideline. And our threes on the half court at the left sideline. And our fours, we put them on the left alley, which for us is the volleyball line, the volleyball sideline. Um, so we just put those kids in those lines. And we tell the point guards, all the three point guards have a ball. And then the first player in each of those five lines is going to be running the break. And it's assuming that we have 15 players. Uh, you sure. can do it with less than that, but it, it wears them out pretty quickly. We tell the point guard, take it and take two or three hard dribbles up the floor while the wings starting from half court are sprinting to the corners. The post player is sprinting to the opposite block and the trailer is staying one or two steps behind the point guard. And we're drilling a flat-out sprinter's technique. I mean, we want them to get the habit of running as hard as they can from, if you're a wing, from half court to the corner. It's only 40 feet, but, but you know, it has to be a habit. And we teach the point guards, we want you pushing the ball as hard and fast as you can while you're looking for various options. And then we just take them through options. You know, Gary Smith at Redlands, uh, my co-author in the book, uh, he said that he just broke his offense down into all the different options that, that, that might arise at the end of the break. And he gave them all names, and he, and he just drilled it and drilled it and drilled it in that kind of a drill uh, until they started to make it a habit. Then we'd make a pass. For example, we'd go one-two and shoot it. Uh, we'd call that a quick option or a quick two. And so we'd, we'd take a couple of dribbles, throw ahead to two. Two would shoot it, and everybody else goes to the offensive boards, which is our rule. And if two didn't make the shot, she's rotating to the top of the key. The other four kids offensive rebound it, kick it out to two, and then she takes a second chance three. And, uh, and we do that almost from the very beginning of our teaching sequence because we want them to recognize that the offense isn't over when we shoot it. It's over when we score. And so we, we finish sure. with a score every single time. If we miss the second chance three-point attempt, then we tell them, okay, just get the ball to the basket and, 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 and score it. And let's get your group off the floor, and then here comes the next group. And the first group gets back in line. We do that over and over and over again. And then we, we'll back it up and do the same thing off the boards, uh, you know, toss a rebound up and have kids sprint the floor. And, um, and then we might do it, a, we, might, we might actually make the shot and say, okay, now you got to throw it in and do the same thing. And then we, we progress and we say, okay, now do it all the way down, all the way back. And, uh, you know, learn how to transition at the other end. And I don't think any of this is particularly rocket science. It's just that you've got to be willing to push kids to go faster and harder all the time because they will gravitate to a point where they just want to coast. And uh, they say, well, it's just, we're, I know how to do this, so I'm not going to go hard because they don't recognize that it's the habit of going hard that's what really what you're trying to teach uh the, yeah. the, the execution is not that complicated it's doing it at game speed that's what's it's what you're trying to get them to do right so instead of going five on zero uh up and back you're going three quarters and if, tell me why you're not going full um what what what's better you think? Because I like to go I like to go up and back five on zero con- consistently on that, but I do like the three quarters. Probably, I'm I'm interested in making a well, change there. Well, the reason why we do it three quarters initially is because we got a lot of options at the end of that break, and I want to make sure they understand all of them and they're using all of them. Okay. And 
and yeah, we can create, you know, we can go five on the hope down and back, but you can't predetermine which option they're going to use. And they don't even know all the options the first few days of practice. They don't know near it, all of them. We're just trying to drill execution more at the end of it uh, by giving them what those options are and teaching them how to execute those options effectively. And I think you can get ahead of yourself by going down and back uh, too early in that sequence because, um, you know, I'd rather them go short and hard than all the way down, all the way back and be sloppy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because I, I, I totally understand that. And I, I think I'm going to make the adjustment. Matter of fact, I am going to make that adjustment. And I, I appreciate the knowledge. No. Coach, tell me. I, I'll tell yeah. you one thing. Tell the me great drill I got from Coach Arsenal along those lines. He would do that. And he would tell his kids, like at the end of practice, he said, we're going to go five on O, down and back, down and back, down and back. You just keep going until you can't go 100% anymore. And then you step off and, and somebody is substitute for you at your position. They just come on the floor on the fly. And he expects them that they're going to go as hard as they can until whatever level of fatigue that that kid can handle, then they step off. And he lets them use any option that they want in that. Because by the time they start that drill, which is a week or two into practice, they pretty much know their options by then. But then they really put, put all those options together and use different ones each time. And they're at the same time learning how to run that they're expected to run full speed. And it's a great conditioner to end practice with too, that five on O continuous drill that they use. So they keep going back. They keep going until they, till coach senses fatigue no, or they not do the individual. They, they, they have to go hard until they are, they are just kind of starting to slow down a little bit. And then they just wave and somebody steps in for them. Coach doesn't make that determination. They do. And that drill might go for five minutes, 10 minutes, you know, but you've always got a fresh kid on the floor. And uh, that way they're constantly running. They're learning how to run hard. They're learning how to recognize when they need a break. And they're going through all of their options. It's a tremendous way to end practice. Yeah, and that's part of what I call positive conditioning, yeah. where the kids take ownership yeah. of it. I love that. I love that added to the fast break, man. I appreciate that. Um, tell me about, I, and I know, I know you're a busy guy, and I, I, don't have, I only have a few more questions Offensive rebounding, I really want to emphasize that this year. That's, that's a big part of our emphasis. Tell me how do you get your players to crash the boards and get more offensive rebounds? Well, it starts with that three-quarter court options drill. Every time we get a shot, our rule is if it's a three-point shot, everybody except the shooter goes to the rim and gets your feet in the paint. That's a pretty clear rule. I mean, if your feet are not in the paint when the ball hits the rim, you can do, you're not doing your job. And we drill it. And if we're not doing that, and we may bring that group back and make them start over. Uh, but pretty quickly, they, they start to understand that part of the habits we're trying to develop is where should you be when that ball is shot on the, on the perimeter and get your feet in the lane. And then we can chart that off a of game film. We can see what percentage of the time we got eight feet in the paint. Uh, so that's one thing you can do. Um, the other thing is uh, when you're doing five on five, you can have an assistant coach be in charge of watching to make sure they're getting their feet in there. Another thing we do is that every single halftime of a game, we're going to be reading to them our offensive rebound stats. We get our stat sheet from the score and uh, we figure it out quickly before we go in the locker room. We say, okay, this half 
uh, the first half we got 35% offensive rebounds. And so that's, that's not, that's not our goal. We need to do better. And we're constantly talking about it, making it a big deal. Uh, we emphasize it more than probably any other statistic that we use. I, I've always felt like in the system, offensive rebounding is the most important thing that you can focus on. If you're good at that, you don't have to be great shooters. If you get a lot of second shots, that really makes it go. And Doug, at the, at the high school girls level, shooting's horrible. So, I mean, um, I would say the average team shoots about maybe 32 or less percent. Mm-hmm. So, right, the offense rebounding at our level is vitally important, Are right? Are you saying 32% total or 32% from three? I wish I would take 32% from three any old day. I'm talking about 32% or less. It's probably a lot less than that. Most teams like against us, they're shooting around 30, 29%. Mm -hmm. Uh, So offensive rebounding is huge. Yeah, it's tremendously important. And uh, I I think you'll see in the system, your field goal percentages can improve in certain situations because you're, um, you're forcing turnovers and maybe get into the rim more in transition than you might in a in a in a conventional style where the defense is always set uh so you can get some good shots in transition and help your field goal percentage in that way but i agree i think field goal percentages can be a problem and and we were talking about this with my high school team this past year and the coaches were saying what can we tell the players about something they can do to help our team get better offensively and i said get on the boards as i had in that one situation i I was willing to use some system knowledge that i had and i said i can tell you it doesn't matter what kind of athlete you are it doesn't matter how big you are if you're tenacious and can get your hand on a basketball and just hustle for it you can help your offensive team because every single time you get an additional offensive board from a statistical standpoint if you're averaging one point per possession, that's like that offensive rebound is it's like you just gave your team an extra point. And if you think of it that way, it gives kids the motivation to realize how important it is and that you don't have to be big or you don't have to be a great athlete to make that happen. You just have to be tenacious. And, and the technique, Doug, you want to try to get outside hit, particularly if you're telling me a little, just a little bit about technique there. You want to get, you want to make sure you're making contact with people, yeah, right? Or yeah, we, we, on the outside. The concept, the concept we use is real simple. I just say block them in, you know, instead of blocking out, which we do on defense, you block them in. You put your hip into them, turn your body sideways, and put your inside arm up. And that way you're not gotcha. going to get called for over the back. And you have a – it's like a 50-50 ball then. You know, you go up and you tip it out. And, uh, you know, you have a chance to get that. But – the, the unfortunate thing is that takes constant, constant repetition and emphasis when you're doing five-on-o drills, when you're doing shooting drills, and you have a rebounder out there with a shooter. Uh, you have to constantly be reminding them, turn sideways, put your hip into them, put the inside arm up, tip the ball out. That That's not going to happen just because you said it once in practice one day. I mean, it's, it is a habit which is true of the whole system. The system is just a series of habits that you learn to execute really fast. And the better your habits, the better you run it. Right. And now I'm just thinking, does your offensive rebounding emphasis hurt your defensive lockout emphasis? I mean, 
Uh, do you mean? Does it, I mean, do we give up shots on the other end because of our offensive rebounding? Well, even in practice, you're so focused on offensive rebounding that you're de-emphasizing defensive blockout position or defensive rebound. I, I'm just I'm just thinking about it as a coach. Uh, well, there's two separate things entirely in my mind, uh, and and we really don't talk a whole lot about defensive rebounding. I know that sounds terrible, but but <laughs> here's the deal: when right. you're running a press and you're scrambling all over the floor, even in the back, you know, even after the ball crosses the line, we're running a half court trap. Well, you try to, if you wouldn't mind, write up a paper for me, Kevin, and send it to me about how you block out when there's two people trapping the ball. And three exactly. people trying to block out the other four. I, I haven't quite figured that one out yet, <laughs> and and so I just don't talk a whole lot yeah. about it. I just I do believe this though: blockouts in a conventional five on five man to man half court defense. Yeah, it's really important. What we do, it's a, it's it's a, in essence, it's a zone, and zones are harder to block out because you're not matched up on one individual player. It's good to be aware of where the opponent is, and I, I think that's important. It's, it's pretty vital, but within the context of a scrambling half-court trapping defense, you're going to be a lot better defensive rebounders if you do what John Wooden says, which is check check the opponent and then go to the boards and go get the ball. Don't be thinking about uh, you know negatively in terms of blocking out and making contact. Just check and go and go get the ball. And I, I think the attitude of going after the basketball, there may be some carryover from the offensive end that the defenders then are a little more aggressive going to the basketball too, even though we don't really have a, a, a very good plan for exactly who to block out or who blocks out where. One thing I will say, when somebody penetrates to the basket, uh, somebody's gonna, somebody on our defense is going to be there picking them up and contesting the shot, and we darn well better block out that shooter. That's one that's a no-brainer. There's no question in that situation, we got to block that shooter out and not let them get a second shot. And then everybody else do the best you can. But that's about as far as we've taken defensive rebounding. And it probably shows in our stats. Yeah, it's, I mean, in your style, your style of play, yeah, you guys are scrambling. You're right, though. It's more of a just a, a go-get-it phase. And I think that's a big part of on the girls' level, the best teams, there's no blocking out going on, man. We, have, we play against athletic teams. They just go get the ball quicker yeah, than we they're, do. They're, they're, um <laughs> It's that simple. Hey, uh, Doug, tell me about half-court offense. We run a five-out motion. How can I incorporate the five-out within? I know you run four-out, one-in, dribble drive. Um, and I'm actually looking to do that, too, but I don't, I don't really don't have any bigs. I have five guards. How can I incorporate that? What, what are some things I should look to do? Uh, to get well, it's shots? something that we've actually experimented with in the past uh, several weeks. Uh, I'm actually coaching a club team, uh, 15-year-olds, and uh, just have a bunch of guards. I mean, eh, so what we've done is I put I put a guard at the four spot. That's what we call our low post player. And uh, we run the floor just like before. We run the break just like I described it to you. But once the ball gets in there and the four is on the opposite block, you know, from the ball. Because And, and I, I don't know if I made it clear a while ago, but you want her opposite the dribbler. You want her opposite the drive because, you know, the point right. guard's got right away. And if the point guard dribbles in the direction that the four is on, the four has to flip to the opposite block just so she's out of the way so the point guard can get to the rim. 
Same thing is true if a wing catches it and drives. The Ford just got to make sure they're not getting in the way of the driver. But uh, what what we've ended up doing is we can run it with five guards. We run four to the opposite block, and then we her rule is that if the ball is swung, I mean, and if we go one five, you know, point guard pushes it up and reverses the ball to a trailer. Or if the point guard hits a wing and the wing reverses the ball to a trailer, then as the ball is being swung towards four's side now, now four can break to the open corner on her side. And, uh, you know, the girl who was in that weak side corner, she's breaking up to get open anyway, so she's sort of vacating that corner spot. Four steps out, now we're in five out. And uh, that's how we flow into it. out of transition, even though the the four is truly a guard, that gets her back on the perimeter pretty easily and uh, allows us to, to play with five smaller kids. Right. And is it more dribble drive? Pa- we, we do a pass cut. But, um, we, we really work hard on speed cuts, and then we do some pass screenaways and so forth. I, I make offense very simple yeah. for my group. Yeah, we do. Um, we do try to integrate dribble drive into it, though, because – I found out early on coaching the system that if you don't, if your kids don't have any dribble penetration options, it's much harder to break down a defense and takes a lot longer and you have a lot more chances to screw it up because you make it, you know, if you make 10 passes, it's a lot, a lot more likely that one of those passes you're going to throw out of bounds. So we'd rather make one or two or three and, and then attack. The thing is what we do to incorporate dribbling into our offenses, our dribbles are going to be to the middle of the floor. And the dribbler has better vision. Okay. And uh, we, we tend to balance the floor a little better. We don't get congested like it tends to happen when you drive baseline and you get trapped behind the board. Uh, so we're going to – the rule is you if you drive, you're driving to the inside. And um, I, I think within a five-out context, there's a little less space to do it, but it can still happen. And I go back – I was reviewing some old Denver Nuggets Doug Moe videos this this spring. And he was the master of the fast break in the NBA. And his rule in their offense was uh, dry. Uh, he, he said, attack space. Now, within that real, one simple rule, he just was saying, if you see a hole, drive into it because there's no defensive help. So attack space. And then if somebody helps, then you kick it to the open player. And if nobody helps, you go to the rim. So I think that concept, you can just give kids that idea and then try to point out situations like that when you're running your five out. And uh, and, and I think you can incorporate dribble, dribble drive movement into a, a pass and cut or pass and screen type of a five out offense. Yeah, I love that. I love that term right there, attack space uh, and the whole the whole uh, term. Because um, really with at my age group, and of course – now with your 15 and under group, simple exactly. is good, right? I'd, I'd encourage you to Google the um, like Doug Moe passing game offense or Doug Moe Denver Nuggets offense, and you'll see about a five-minute video clip of one of their highlight – Okay. their games where they just strung together about 30 or so offensive clips, and you'll see several examples of them attacking space off the dribble. You'll see several examples – all the examples of basically a five-out motion offense with constant movement and cuts and screens and – this is really difficult to guard. So uh, I think that's a good, that's a good resource to see if you're a five out coach 
how you can incorporate that into uh, uh, into an offensive system. Why hasn't the NBA? I remember that team big time. Thank you for reminding me. Why isn't the NBA? I know the Warriors do a lot of. That's that was a great offensive system. Why wasn't that taken by more teams? I think it goes back to that era when there was still a lot of you know, maybe hyper control. Coaches feeling like, oh, I've got to call plays. I've got to. I've got to control what the kids are or what the kids what the guys are doing out there uh and you know they're just more comfortable with play sets and doug moe was kind of a character and he didn't care i mean he just said get open you know move don't stand still pass move and get yourself open and and use the basketball right. instincts that you've already got just stay out of each other's way and it worked i mean i i'm simplifying it because i'm sure he taught a lot more details than that but in public, that's all he would ever say is that he just told him to run around and get open. And uh, but they were <laughs> they were able to to make it work. But honestly, I think it goes back to Dean Smith. Uh, you know, Doug Mo played in North Carolina. He didn't play for Dean Smith. It was before that era. But it, Larry Brown played for Dean Smith, and Larry Brown basically taught uh, Doug Mo that five out motion passing game offense. And that's what Doug Mo called. It. He called it passing game. And that's a, that's a North Carolina Dean Smith term. But there's constant movement. And then ultimately, uh, Bobby Knight consulted with Dean Smith when he when he wanted to go to a motion offense uh, himself back in, what, it was 72, 73. And he put that in in Indiana, and the rest is history. You know, that, that motion offense stuff came from Dean Smith uh, originally. And then what you're seeing Doug Moe do at Denver was uh, – um, was kind of his version of it in the NBA. But to answer your question, I think the NBA – has always been and always probably will be a play set kind of a league. And if not play set, then, you know, freelance within the pick and roll kind of a mentality. There's just not many guys making, you know, $5 million a year that are going to say, hey, do what you want. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think the Warriors um, are the closest team to that, their style of play, um, <clears throat> which I would like to see more, more teams do that. Hey, tell me about, your practices that's my last question is i know your practices are i'm assuming are shorter how many shots are you looking to get in i think uh george barber says he tries to get his guys 200 shots a day uh and then tell me like the structure of your practices well we don't get 200 a day but early in the year we'll get 100 threes after everybody and we'll chart it we, we want to know how many they made out of 100 we, we shoot at five spots you know corner wing top wing corner and 20 shots at each spot and then we'll we stretch right after we do that drill and uh, while they're stretching we have the manager chart how many they say they made out of 100 uh and then we we might do 50 later on in the year you know we, we don't take as much time for it probably should take more but just got a lot of other things to work on um so that's that's basically what we're doing with shooting. Uh, the structure of our practices is, again, something I got from Coach Arsenal. We we just work on one thing a day, you know. We're, we're going to okay. say, okay, today, and here's how I, here's how I structure it. In the beginning of the year, we spend the first week on the fast break and the half court offense. You know, transition into the half court. It's nothing but offense. We're not doing anything except pick them up man to man. And we don't even really teach them how to play man to man. We just assume they know how to stand between somebody in the basket. Uh, so that's all we do the first week. 
the second week is all press, all defensive work. And uh, we don't want to be teaching the press the same time we're teaching the offense because it screws it up. And uh, we want to keep our focus on one thing. The third week, we'll be doing some zone offense and some set play stuff. And by then we're ready to play. Um, so that's how we do it preseason. But in season, we go on a four day schedule and we play Wednesday, Saturday. So Monday is fast break day. You know, they've had a day off. They're fresh. They come out and we're going up and down and we're working on polishing our fast break execution. Tuesday is our press day. And we're working on all aspects of our press, trying to, you know, we have drills and every, everything we do in practice on that day is either a press drill and not, not counting our initial warm up and, you know, fundamental skills that we'll do for 15, 20, 30 minutes. Uh, once we get past that, every drill we do is related to the press. And then we go five on five press in various situations, you know, like after a dead ball, on a free throw, on a sideline, uh, underneath our basket, you know, in the half court. All those different situations after a missed shot, what are we doing to get better at our press? And that's Tuesdays. Wednesdays we play. Thursdays is uh, uh, half-court uh, defensive day because we're a little tired from playing. So everything we're doing is our half-court trapping defense. And uh, we'll work on zone offense on those days because zone offense is what we do against a half-court trapping defense. And then Fridays is half-court man-to-man. So, in effect, Mondays is full-court offense, Tuesdays is full-court defense, Wednesdays we play, Thursdays is half-court defense, Fridays is half-court offense, and any kind of set plays or quick hitters that we might run, and then Saturdays we play. And on those days, that's just all we work on. We think about one thing. And we might, you know, while we're working on the press, we might have a coach watching how they're running their break, Um if we're working on half-court man-to-man offense, we I don't think we've got anybody watching how they play man-to-man defense. <laughs> That's kind of a blind spot. But right. we don't run that defense anyway, so it doesn't <laughs> matter. But you see what I'm saying is I think I've, the way I put it, if you go to a college lecture, you caught, your, your professor didn't talk about 14 different things. He talked about one thing for that lecture. That was the topic for that day. you know. And, and then the next day, class period, you talk about a different topic. You know, you can work fundamentals every day, but I just want to get better at one thing today, whether it's full court, half court, offense or defense. We're going to we're going to improve. And then on a week to week basis over the course of a of a 20 week season, you're going to get a lot better. Uh, and you know that if you didn't do something well today, then next week you'll get it. You'll be better at it. And um, we'll you know. I will say this after a game, we're going to tweak and we'll, we'll see some things that we didn't do well. And so we might sneak in there for a, a short period of time, the specific thing that we didn't do well, even if it wasn't related to that day's topic. But in, as a general rule, I just want to, I want to have a, a, the same kind of structure from week to week. Yes. And, and how do you include. Hey, Kevin, you still there? Hey, Doug. Hey, sorry about that. I, I wouldn't pay yeah. attention to my phone battery, Doug. Oh, man. Hey, I, that's that's okay. Um, hey, you got – you're just finishing up on the practice ideas on that. Can you fill us in? Yeah, where did I cut off? Well, uh, just – we finished describing the um, – basically the four-day plan that you all have. And uh, I think I was asking you about how you included offensive rebounding uh, in those segments. 
Yeah, offensive rebounding is uh, mostly uh, – well, we're, we're focusing on that on the offensive days. Uh, like about if we're doing fast break offense or trans, uh, full court offense, uh, at the end of the break we're always working on you know, either our three-quarter court option or full court options drills, always making sure that we finish in the correct offensive rebounding positions. A drill that we use a lot, a lot in that – on that day on fast break or full court transition day is what we call five on five blockout. We just toss the ball boards, block, block players out and then uh, transition to the other end, create a shot. And then we're going to expect that our offensive players are all going to the boards uh, in that situation. Then the opponent gets the rebound or if, if, if we score, they'll throw the ball in and they break back the, the other way. And both teams are just playing half court man to man defense. And again, when they break back, then we want them creating a shot and getting to the offensive boards. Another great drill we use is what we call four-on-four or five-on-five cutthroat, where we go offense to defense. Uh, Well, we go. let's say it's four-on-four. We've got four kids starting at the half-court line, uh, have a guard up there and a trailer, and then two wings in the corners. And uh, then four defenders guard – defend those players running basically a four out uh, motion offense. It's just the you know breakdown of our, of our regular offense. And uh, if the offense scores, they keep the ball. They get an outlet to a coach standing on the sideline. And then the point guard gets the ball back from the coach uh, once she touches the center circle. And then she turns around and attacks and four new defenders come onto the floor. And the only way to get to play offense is if you stop the opponent. You, the winner stays and the loser steps off. Oh, okay, that's sure. Drill, tremendous drill for working on uh, offensive rebounding because they figure pretty quickly that they may not score in the offense, but if they get a second shot, they're they're putting themselves in a good position. And that can be that can be an emphasis for the day. You say, hey, today in in four on four on four or four on four cutthroat, the emphasis is going to be offensive rebounding, and we might even say. The only way to score is to get an offensive board. You get a point for that, and uh, there's no other way you can score. And, well, that, that gets their attention pretty quickly. So the, the, the half-court offensive day and the full-court offensive day is when we really would be focused on that. Frankly, I'm not even looking at the offense when we're working on defense. Uh, on defensive half-court days and defensive full-court days, we're just working on defensive stuff. But with that said, I might tell an assistant coach, hey, your job in this practice is to watch the other side of the ball. So sure. coaching defense, and I want you working with the offensive kids and making sure they're getting their feet in the paint when we shoot the ball. And that way you get another set of eyes uh, watching something that I'm not watching. Yeah, I love, I love, I love that I have an assistant coach do that. Um, I think it's uh, – I think it just adds – I think, it, number one, it adds to your coach's duty list responsibility. And I think at our level, I think that's – I think a coach would absolutely love that. Um, defense, do you break things down in practice or do you go five on five yeah. teaching your defensive scheme? Actually, we do break it down. I know Coach Arsenault, when I talked to him about it, the system, he didn't do, doesn't really break defensive down very much. But we felt like girls would maybe benefit from some of the specific skill work that we do. So, yeah, when we work on our press, a full court press day, uh, we're going to include. Uh, two or three core drills defensively. One of them is what I call chase and turn. And uh, 
you basically hand the ball. A defensive player hands the ball to an offensive player near the sideline in the corner of the court. And the offensive player is going to dribble down the sideline, and the defensive player has to sprint, get ahead of that offensive player, and cut them off and make them change directions. Because we found that in our press, if we can just make the offensive dribbler change directions, Mm -hmm. then you're breaking the momentum. They're not going to go coast to coast on you. They're not going to attack your safety and put get them in foul trouble. They at least have to change directions to do that. And so chasing and turning is a critical uh, skill within our press. Another drill we do a lot is half-court two-on-one. We just have a, a defender in the middle uh, toss the ball to one of two offensive players at half court, and then the defender sprints back into the paint and defends two on one without giving up a layup. And there's some specific techniques in, in accomplishing that that I won't go into, but it's a it's a good good drill for teaching how to defend when you're outnumbered. And and as I'm sure you're aware, <laughs> we get outnumbered a lot, so we got to we got to plan for that. And we use that as a blockout drill too, making sure we block the shooter out. And then the other really key drill we do defensively is what I call one-on-two trap. Because we we're, we are – people say, are you a man-to-man coach or a zone coach? And I say, well, neither. I mean, we're a trapping team. We trap <laughs> right. everybody all, all the time. So we can get by with having an average defensive player on the floor or below average because they're never, ever one-on-one with anybody. It's always two people flying to the ball within the context of our trapping defense. So – we're going to go one-on-two trap. We just put an offensive player on the baseline under the basket and have two defenders standing on the blocks. And one of those two defenders has the ball, and she tosses it to the offense, and then it's anything goes. That offense is trying to dribble through those guys and get to half court. And the two defenders, their job is to don't get split and don't get beat to the outside and just keep that offensive player hedged in, hemmed in, uh, and either get a steal or just contain them until, um, until it looks like that they're not going to be able to beat you. And then we have three more kids come in and do the same thing. You know, we just keep constantly keep that going. That's a great ball handling drill, too. It's, it's a great drill. We use it. I, I love that. It's probably the best ball handling drill you can do. Yeah, yeah, tremendous. And the key thing about that drill, Kevin, is it's, it really helps you with the tendency you're going to see early on of kids fouling too much in the system. Uh, they want to bump and hack and reach, and you know, they, they, all they want to do is go for the ball, and they end up getting beat. Either they get beat or they foul. And so what our rule is is that when you're in that drill, you are not allowed to to extend your hands. You've got to show your hands. I mean, put your hands up by your shoulders and just keep your feet moving because if you start reaching, your feet are going to stop moving, and you're probably going to foul somebody. So we say show your hands, keep your feet moving, the only time that we will allow them to use their hands in that one-on-two trap drill is if the the offensive player attempts to split you with a dribble. If she does that, then then she's exposing the ball, and it's okay to go for it in that situation. And uh, so those are some of the techniques and fundamentals that we're trying to teach in that drill. Now, we don't do a whole lot of other things uh, from a defensive technique standpoint. Those are the core of what we do, and we'll repeat those you know, just about every time that we, on a weekly basis, come back to our half or to our full court uh, defensive uh, defensive day, and just try to get better at those skills as the season progresses.
Yeah, that's great info. And I uh, and I have on your videos. Have you changed anything? Cause I I'm actually going back over your videos. You got your defensive drills on there, don't you, Doug? Or no? Yeah, yeah. The one on okay. chase and turn is on there. The two, the one yeah. on two, the two on one is on there. We have one more drill we use a lot. Well, I guess the other drills are just five on five variations. You know, five on five uh, full court, five on five uh, half court, which we call five on five trap drill, um, is a great drill just to teach them how to really fly to the ball. You know. Uh, basically put the offense in a box set, you know, a two, one, two, the high post. Okay. And then, yeah. uh, and then I'll toss the ball to any one of the four perimeter offensive players and the defense, just the nearest two kids, whoever it is has to fly and trap. And then the other three players, we show them their rules about where they should be. And then when the offensive player at first, we don't let the offensive player pass until we've checked the defensive positioning, make sure they're in the right spots. And we'll say pass. And then, and then when they pass the ball to whoever, we say, okay, now who are the nearest two players? You go trap. The other three girls, the other three players rotate to the appropriate spot based upon the rules of our defense. And then we make it live, you know, and we give them the thing about that drill is that we give them 15 seconds maximum. Again, this is an old uh, David Arsenal rule. He doesn't want to get them tired or discouraged playing defense. You know, he, he says, you got 15 seconds to force a, a deflection or a turnover. And after that, we're not going to, we're not going to make you die out here. So, 15 seconds and your turn's over. But uh, you, what you see in that drill is the ability to learn how to anticipate. And one fun thing I've done with them is I'll stand at half court before I throw the ball to one of the four offensive players to initiate that drill. I will look, I mean, I'll stare at one of the four offensive players. And then after a second or so, I will throw the ball to that player. And then I'll point out <laughs> to our girls. I'll say, look, I'm going to tell you where I'm throwing it. You're not going to be playing against exactly. Magic, Magic Johnson out here. You're not going to be noticed. <laughs> look at their eyes. Right. Learn how to read the eyes of the passer, and you can get a half-step advantage. It's going to be the difference between them catching the ball and you getting a steal or a deflection. So try to – I use a real complicated term. I say try to guess what they're going to do. <laughs> and their eyes are the best way to guess intelligently. So I will start that drill by staring at somebody and then I'll throw the ball and, and I expect them to start moving before I throw it if they're reading my eyes correctly. And so that's, that's kind of a way uh, to, to help develop anticipation, which is what that drill is totally all about. And ultimately the system is all about you get better at anticipating than the other team is at, at, uh, at uh, handling your pressure. Yeah. I love the, I love that anticipation. And we try to, anticipate really on the pivot yeah, and the eyes and shoulders. Whereas we don't teach in the air, we teach on the pivot. Um, and the eyes and shoulders will tell you where they're going. Right, coach? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, anything you can do to help them read body language or read eyes and get that half step or full step at uh, edge is, is, is gravy. Yeah. Great, great information. If you were, I mean, how do you teach, consequences though so if, if player Susie's not showing effort you you how do you emphasize that to her do you make her run or I just yell you say hey I'm old school I just yell at him Kevin <laughs> <laughs> okay it. I got you yeah I mean I'm I, I've learned over the years that you know it's your it's relational I, I I think we get pretty good effort out of our people because that's our expectation 
And once you right. established, you know, the veterans reinforce that for the younger kids coming in. Uh, but, uh, you know, we do different things. I, I think typically uh, if I'm not seeing effort, I, I, I want to make sure they understand why it matters. Um, you know, that's just part of this generation. They got to know why. And, and you shouldn't have to explain why it matters to do your best. Uh, you know, you just do it. But um, occasionally, and it's pretty rare, we'll get on the baseline and just run a sprint. And I'm not going to run them forever. I just want to do it long enough to get their attention and make them make sure they understand that what they're doing isn't acceptable. Now, one thing I did years ago, I had a junior college transfer who was actually an All-American um, when she came into us. And she was a post player, and she just flat out didn't get how hard she had to work in order to make this this thing uh, happen. And I was on her a lot. And, and uh, finally, one time, she's just kind of dogging it in practice. I just said, hey, you and your whole unit, just get off the floor. And the rest of the unit was doing fine. <laughs> but I think over on the sidelines, they explained it to her. And uh, I didn't have much problem with her from that point on, you know. Some of this old school stuff, just kick them out. I mean, I don't ever, I can't think of, you know, on fingers of one hand, the number of times I've kicked a team out of practice. I, I might stop practice and go home a little early because I feel like we're too tired to really execute. But right. the only thing about the system, once they get it, they don't, and once they know that practice is only going to be an hour and a half at the most, it might be an hour and 10, hour and 15, and once they realize that there are going to be days when they show up and I say, hey, you guys look tired. Let's go home or let's 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 shoot some free throws and have a contest, a shooting contest. And, or let's you know, I've even done this. I played dodgeball some days. I mean, gosh, uh, sure. People listen to this are going to just feel like I'm lost my mind. But here's the thing. <laughs> you get great effort out of people that are happy and, and feel like, hey, when I give effort, he notices and he recognizes when I'm just really exhausted mentally and physically. So we take days off. We take we have short practices, and the practices are short, but they are hard, and they are game speed. And there's only one speed in, in everything we do unless I specifically tell them, hey, this is a walkthrough. This is a half speed, which I don't do very often except in a learning situation. But if we're, if we're executing anything five on zero – or five on five, but you know, five on zero is when they tend to just think they can take a vacation. Uh, maybe that's the habit that they've grown up with. But if it's on right. O, I say five on O means game speed. It means this is your chance to perfect your execution at game speed, and you are going to do that one way or the other. And they they get the idea pretty quickly uh, that that effort is really important, and they know that if they come in there and work hard, that we're going to be done. You know, a lot sooner. I, funny story. The first time I started at North Central, I went there to help the coach. She wanted to put in the system, and she hired me to do it. And I showed her the practice plan for the first day because she wanted me to really implement it myself the first week or two of practice. And so I showed her the plan, and it was like an hour and 40 minutes. And I said, Coach, I'm really sorry. She says, yeah, I know. You know, we got a two-and-a-half-hour block here. And I, I said, no, I'm sorry that it's so long. And she said, what? I said, well, yeah, this is a long workout for a system, you know. And she said, Coach, we got two and a half hours that we can have. Are you sure that we can, you know, get everything in? And I said, trust me, you know, uh, talk to me after practice. I think you'll understand. 
So after the first day, she said, oh, I get it. <laughs> it's just so demanding to do what we do up and down and, and intensely that uh, you don't want them to be to the point where they are going through the motions, half speed, just right. the right. kind of mental and physical and emotional effort that they need to. And I think that's what the system does for them. Yeah, I think there's so many practices, particularly late in the year, that are just too long. Um, I think rest is the most underrated thing, don't you think? Absolutely. I knew a junior college in, in uh, Michigan. He gave the day off after every game. I, I was stunned. I mean, I, I wouldn't do that. But he said, yeah, if they played on Wednesday, Thursday was an off day. And they played on Saturday. Uh, Sunday, of course, was an off day. And he said they came back Friday and and uh, Monday and Tuesday, and they just basically did it on three days a week. And he said, boy, we had so much energy and played so hard that, uh, and, and, you know, it's not that complicated what we do. You just try to get better right. and keep them fresh. I love that. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's a great point. Um, Coach, hey, thank you so much. Again. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can, Kevin. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, man, uh, you know, this podcast is all about, innovators and people sharing their vision. I think you're a true innovator. I know you learn from some great guys, but um, I appreciate you taking the time out to kind of share us the, the system, man. I mean, what are some great ideas? Hey, how can people get a hold of you um, either on email or Twitter, Facebook? Because I'm going to have a lot of coaches wanting to talk to you. Well, contact I'd be you. happy to um, have anybody. Probably the easiest way is just contact me at Bethel and my my uh, email address there is really easy. It's uh, doug.porter at bethelluniversity.com. And that's an easy way to do it. And, uh, you know, if anybody wants to call me, they can email me first. And I'll be happy to, if they say, hey, if you wouldn't mind talking on the phone, I've got a lot of questions to ask. And sometimes I'll answer by email and give them all the details they want. Sometimes people like to talk on the phone. And I'm, I'm happy to do it either way because uh, – I love talking about this stuff, as you can probably tell, <laughs> and uh, love helping coaches and giving back a little bit. And, and uh, so anybody wants to contact me, just absolutely don't hesitate uh, because myself and Gary Smith, George Barber, Coach Arsenault, both of them, uh, father and son, I, I know for a fact every one of those guys is just delighted to talk with anybody that has an interest about uh, questions related to the system. Yeah, and I sure appreciate it. Matter of fact, um, I'm going to be um, interviewing uh, George, Coach Barber, uh, next week, and I'm trying to get Gary Smith. Is there any way I can get – you can help me get his contact? I know he's retired, um, but I, I would love to get hit him on the podcast as well. Lovely. Yeah, Gary is – I'll send you his contact information as soon as we hang up here, and I know he'd love to talk with you. He's just a bundle of energy at, at – whatever age he is he acts like he's about 20 but he's uh, he's you know well into retirement but still has a lot of enthusiasm and great ideas and a lot of passion for the system so i'm sure he'd love to be on yeah uh and i know he's actually just like you i think he coached some high school um just recently i know he's an assistant coach somewhere as well yeah you guys just can't get enough of it i lose track of all of gary's you know adventures he's 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 been in europe <laughs> he helped at grinnell for a year since he retired uh, a lot of things. I tell you, somebody else you probably ought to talk to as well. Uh, my former assistant at all of that is Lauren Stamatis. Actually, now Lauren Glenn. And uh, okay. Lauren is 
the most successful women's basketball system coach uh, in the game today. And she's, she's got to get out of her shell a little bit because she's, she took over from me seven years ago and been to six national tournaments, broke all of our records. I mean, she had one year where they averaged 111 and uh, just got some great ideas, but I've always encouraged her to get out and, and be more vocal uh, she's so humble that she doesn't think she's got anything special to add, but she really understands this stuff and is a, is a great person to, to talk to as well. So if you want her uh, contact for information too, I'd love to pass that along and anybody can contact her at Olivet that wants to, too. She, her name's on the website and uh, that'd be great. I'd love to have her contact. Coach. Yeah. She, she loves people as well. So, yeah. Doug, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you taking the time out. Have a great evening. And um, yeah, I'm going to keep in touch with you because we're going we're gonna to put it in. And I would love to show you some videos and give me some analysis of how we're doing. Oh, anytime, Kevin. Thanks for talking. All right. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it. Okay. See ya. Right. See ya. This is Matt Smith from United Basketball Clinics. A highlight of my week is listening to Kevin Furtado's Championship Vision podcast. Kevin has a passion for the game and helping coaches grow in their craft. He interviews some of the best basketball minds in the business, and you are sure to gain insights on how to improve as a coach. I suggest you check out his podcast today. Coaches, how are you? Hey, make sure to check out my friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. They were a main sponsor of my Legends Clinic last year, and I got to see in person why the Dr. Dish is undoubtedly the best shooting machine on the market. I'm super excited to get one in my program here soon. As a matter of fact, it's already in the process of being ordered. The technology and versatility of the machine are unmatched. Make sure to check out their product lineup and their new Dr. Dish CT machine on their website at drdishbasketball.com. And follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Dish B-Ball. Mention this podcast and you can save $300 extra on your next Dr. Dick, Dr. Dish purchase. Get one soon. This is Coach Kevin Furtado of the Championship Vision Podcast. Hey coaches, this is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball. And you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at drdishbasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at drdishbball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in.